0: Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn from one of the top experts on inbound licensing on how you can partner with major brands and celebrities to get their trademark put on your product.
1: You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast. Now, onto the show.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm very excited to introduce Rhett Silverstein to the show. Rhett's the founder of Hegemon, an agency that represents consumer product manufacturers and partnering with big brands, celebrities, and athletes. Before founding Hegemon, he was the brand licensing agent at Beanstalk, and before that, a New York lawyer. Today, Rhett's going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can license big brands and celebrities for your products. Now, on to the episode. Brett, welcome to the show thank you for having me yeah looking forward to talking about inbound licensing today and I know that you're in Florida and uh you bought a dog in the middle of COVID you're getting outside you learning to play tennis uh, all this sort of stuff or at least practicing your game there
2: well um I'm actually I'm um, I'm back in my home office in New Jersey inching closer and closer back to New York City where the business is based but I did uh I did hibernate during COVID um, down in Florida for quite a bit of time, took in the Rays, played some tennis, trying to raise this Labradoodle, like you said. Um, but you know the, the beautiful thing about working in intellectual property is that it exists everywhere, right? So uh, we were able to keep the agency going and service our clients and stay in contact with uh with brands all over the world just the same as as before covid so um yeah it's been an interesting year there's been some interesting market phenomenon that have come out of it that in many cases our clients have benefited from um but uh yeah slowly slowly but surely getting things back to normal
0: wow that smart man uh going down to the sunny south uh, in the midst of all this and then i guess you're working your way back now and uh you're right. I mean, especially when it comes to this, these sorts of licensing deals and this sort of IP, and uh, it's a global market. You can do it from home. And I think we're very excited to learn today about what inbound licensing is. It's not mm-hmm. something that's uh, understood too much by hardware startups.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, I'm really looking forward to diving in deep with it because it's amazing what you do, essentially connecting big brands with with startups. So why don't you just give uh, everybody kind of a high-level overview of, of what is inbound uh, licensing with with brands.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it might actually be helpful to ac- give you my quick background um, and let you know how I actually discovered inbound licensing. Right on. Uh, so so my background is actually as an attorney, um, as an IP attorney. Uh, you know, working on behalf of brands um, and and intellectual property owners. And when I moved over to the agency space, I was first a sports agent uh, for a, uh, a big French company called Lagardère. And I was part of the tennis division representing Andy Roddick, among other pro tennis players. And they uh, were looking for an in-house entrepreneur to expand uh the sports that they serviced and so this is around 2009 um MMA mixed martial arts was the fastest growing sport in the world and uh I decided that we would we should start the first global MMA division um representing all of the top fighters and uh that was a that was a real learning experience for me and kind of my first taste of of licensing on the celebrity space where you know, we were in charge of helping legitimize these fighters as pro athletes. And a a big part of that was developing their brands and finding product categories that made sense for them. And and so the, you know, working on the talent side kind of opened my eyes to how a a person, a a well-known person can become a brand. And that attracted me to doing more and more of these consumer product type deals, uh, which led me to my next phase at a very big agency owned by Omnicom that was focused on representing corporate brands and helping those brands extend into new product categories that they would never make in-house, but that uh, the brand still made sense in these other categories and they just needed to find the right manufacturing partner to develop those products with. Um, and so during the course of, of that period of my career, I was working on the I was working on the IP side. I was representing the brand or the celebrity, and I was out there knocking on doors trying to find manufacturers who were interested in developing product collections with my clients. And what I noticed over and over and over again, was that every time I knocked on one of those doors and sat across the table from the CEO uh, of of some manufacturing company, they never had counter-representation. I was always in there as the agent on behalf of the brand, on behalf of the athlete, and this manufacturer was kind of taking my word for everything and essentially choosing from my menu of options instead of, uh studying the market and going out and and finding the best fit for for their business and so about seven years ago i said there's a real need in the agency landscape for an agency that's fully dedicated to representing manufacturers and being their eyes and ears and their hired gun to go out and find the right partnerships for them Um, and, and so I hung out my shingle about seven years ago. The agency is called Hegemon, um, which means leader in, in ancient Greek. And uh, we dub ourselves the the leader in product identity because we're really trying to help clients that make really great products um, give those products an identity with the right brand on them. And, and hopefully that's the silver bullet that opens up retail opportunities for them.
0: That's really and, cool. So, and so and that's and simply put, right, you're adding, you're essentially taking either a celebrity brand or some existing brand and cutting a deal essentially with a, a product uh, manufacturer, product startup, somebody who owns the actual product or has developed this thing and is looking to sell it to essentially slap that celebrity's name or brand or logo, or whatever else yeah. on this new startup or, or hardware product or whatever else, right?
2: first tip for your audience never say label slap that's a, <laughs> that's that's that is that is a no-no in the licensing world every brand wants to feel like you are making something custom and authentic for their brand and you're not just slapping their brand onto some product
0: well and that's um, good for both sides right because as a, I can tell you from from a hardware startup's perspective um you know, what better than to have some athlete or celebrity or big brand that you know working together collaboratively for mutual success yeah so especially from the small startup world uh you know it's amazing that they want the same thing because the reality is that's going to make a much better partnership long term in any case
2: absolutely absolutely that's that's spot on
0: great so in terms of uh, how this all works like why would, I mean, I'm sure a lot of ideas are already coming to, to listeners' minds on why this would be great. But like from your perspective, what really here is the value um, to a, you know, to let's say it's a new uh, hardware startup or even somebody who's manufacturing product for for a long time and they want to increase exposure or whatever else, like what are the the best value items that you see that help these manufacturers or these, these product companies or product startups when forming these sorts of brand or celebrity relationships?
2: Yeah, look, um, for the longest time, endorsement deals were the big thing. And that was kind of the the solution out there for a brand that was not so well-known to try to become more well-known. Right. And what you do is you cut a celebrity, a really big check, um, and hopefully... Through, through their endorsement of your product and your brand, you would get the recognition and your brand would become a player in, in, in a certain space. And the problem with those endorsement deals is that it's almost impossible to measure the return on investment because you don't know, even if your sales pick up, you don't know if it's exactly because of that endorsement deal. And you don't know if your sales have picked up enough to cover the expense of that endorsement deal. And at the end of the day, there's the consumer's smart and the consumer wants something that's authentic. And sometimes these celebrity endorsement deals just look like a money grab um, and that it's not really a partnership. And so a way to do things in a much more, I think, seamless way um, is to actually partner with a brand or celebrity and use that on your product itself. When licensing is done well, the consumer who's shopping down the aisle doesn't even realize that the product they're pulling off the shelf with a brand they know on it, they don't even realize that it's made by a completely unrelated company that's just in partnership with this brand. And so I think that Licensing is unique because you actually get to step in the shoes of this famous brand rather than rolling the dice on building your own brand from the ground up and, and taking the time and the money to hopefully establish that and, and eventually have break your way into retail. If you, do, if you, if you use licensing the right way, you become that famous brand overnight. And if you have the product to back it up, then you have the winning recipe to really become a force at retail and and break through the noise and get the buyer's attention and get that test you've been looking for. And if that partnership with the brand works, you're going to know it because it's going to generate sales and you're going to know what products are selling with what brand on it. And what's what's a beautiful thing about licensing is that it's royalty based. And so if you do well, the brand does well. And, and so you're really in it together. And, and it's just a question of marrying the right product with the right brand um, and having a, a thoughtful strategy um, to, to execute.
0: It's amazing because you know one of the biggest things I, I can think of for hardware startups is that overnight instant recognition it takes decades to build a reputable national or international brand that people know yep. and with the, the the right inbound licensing deal you can all of a sudden have that logo that celebrity that brand partnership or whatever that, that automatically places you as a product within that brand Look. from the eyes of the consumer or Look. even potentially as you were mentioning the retailer Right? maybe that gives you access to retailers. Maybe that gives you access to a different type of wholesale buyer. Maybe that gives you certain brand recognition that gets a certain investor on board. Maybe that gets you certain brand recognition that gets a, you know, a certain media coverage. All of these things are tremendously powerful when you're a newer, less established, less known, which really, uh, let's be honest, most hardware startups, almost all hardware startups, you are not nationally recognized and your brand certainly is not nationally recognized for, sure. for quite a considerable amount of time. So this is a way to bring a great product. So you're coming with the innovation, you're coming with the new product, you're coming with something that's changing people's lives. And then you're marrying that with uh, recognition that, it, that is global, uh, essentially, if you get the right partner on board. The power of that is incredible for a hardware startup.
2: It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, if you're walking down the aisle of your local supermarket and you see you're, you're in the market for a new mop, a new floor mop, um, you might be inclined to buy the Mr. Clean floor mop because you already use the Mr. Clean floor soap. And you would just assume Mr. Clean is making this floor mop. Um, but you'd be wrong. Uh, you, you know, you, you're buying a floor mop from some company that's really good at making mops and decided that if they could partner with the right brand that was well known, they would be able to break their way into retail as opposed to their obscure brand that no one's heard of. If you go walk the aisle and, and, and decide you need a new pot or a pan, um, and you already have. Hamilton Beach coffee maker and a Hamilton Beach toaster and a Hamilton Beach blender, and you see a pan hanging there, uh, or you see a set of knives from Hamilton Beach, you know that brand, you trust that brand. So you pick those up instead of some other brand you haven't heard of. And you would just assume that's being made by Hamilton Beach. Well, you'd be wrong. It's made by some manufacturer that does a great job in in those categories and partnered with Hamilton beach to develop that brand extension. Um, So, and, and, and that's what I meant earlier is when it's done well, you don't even know it's not being made by the brand. Of course, the brand has all the oversight and quality control and approval process over whatever you're making. So you can't just take a brand and go rogue. Um, Everything, everything everything is approved and, and aligned with, with the core brand so that it does tell an authentic story and the consumer does have a good experience and does come back and buy other products from the brand. You have to understand from the brand perspective, this is generating royalties, which is great, right? Money's great, but what they're really after is this is really a marketing strategy from a brand perspective. You know, Hamilton Beach is such a big company, uh, Procter & Gamble, such a big company, You know, they're, the, the the royalty revenues are, are kind of a rounding error for them. What they're really getting out of this is an opportunity to enter into a new product category that they would never otherwise do themselves and have all, all of a sudden this new touch point with consumers who are walking down this aisle and they don't normally see Mr. Clean on a pair of gloves or Hamilton Beach on a set of pots and pans, but now they do. And that may say, oh, yeah, we need a new coffee maker. So they're going to go hook around to the next aisle and pick up a Hamilton Beach coffee maker. Um, and so that's how that that's kind of the virtuous cycle of, of, of licensing. Now, from the manufacturer perspective, this really is all about the dollars and cents. And this really does need to move the needle on sales. This is not a marketing exercise for what's called licensee, which is the manufacturer. The manufacturer has this great product, hopefully has capabilities to, to manufacture on scale or or knows how to go about sourcing products at, at large scale, and is just missing that brand that that's, that's going to be recognizable enough to help them cut through the noise and break into retail.
0: I like that you mentioned there, well, you kind of highlighted about the brand reputation. I want to uh, unpack that a bit because- I think it's important to know, and people probably can derive this already, but a great brand wants to ensure that they're pairing up with a great product. Yeah. So there's a number of things that if you've got your product, I mean, first of all, you know, for most of the, most of the folks developing a product on this show, they're, they're making something amazing. They're creating something new or proprietary. They're developing something that is, that is going to change a particular category or whatever else. So you are already in a good position. But then there's really some key things when you get into manufacturing that, that these brands want to see mm-hmm. to make sure that you're a good partner for them. Sure. Now, you know, and it's important to understand the difference here. Traditionally, when you think about the word licensing, generally inventors and startups are thinking, OK, well, somebody is going to take my my design or my engineering and they're going to go take it. They're going to manufacture. They're going to sell it. Well, yep. first of all, that's very, very rare for that actually to happen before you're actually in sales, as, as we know. But second of all, it's important to understand that like this is a type of licensing that is actually much more probable and much more and is essentially happening a lot more around you and potentially much more powerful. This is it's really important to understand the difference here. You as creating the product, you know, essentially you are a manufacturer, you are actually reaching out to them. You're trying to license their brand to be applied to your product. And this is the real world of licensing. And well, this is really how, how it goes down with people like Rhett here, right? So let, let's break it down for the audience here. What is important to understand as a, as a hardware startup? What mm-hmm. do we, as the producers, the manufacturers, as the as the people of the ideas, what do we need to do? Yeah. Uh, what do we need to have ready to be in a great position to start reaching out to these brands to try and attract them to, to, to our product?
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great question. And uh, I don't know if there's one single answer. Um, We, you know, many of our clients do, you know, billions of dollars of retail sales. Um, They have already existing footprints at all of the major retailers and they're, you know, they're looking to add brands to their portfolio that are allowing them to kind of fill in the white space opportunities that they're not currently selling. Because no matter how big your company is, you still want want to find ways to grow. And, And so when you're talking about companies that are already established and operating and in retail, what you're looking to do, you don't want to cannibalize the sales you're already doing. You want to find a brand that you can use and leverage to either reach a new consumer or hit a different Price point, or open a new retail door that you haven't been in, or, um, or essentially find some other way to grow your business using this brand. Now, what I think we're really talking about when you ask me this question is how do smaller companies go about this, and why do they? What you know, what what do they need to do? Um, and I think that there's actually, even though I have to say. You do want when you're approaching these brands. You do want to have your ducks in a row. You do need to look like a real company. You do need to have an ability. You do obviously need to have capabilities in a certain product category. I think if there's something special about your products, that's even better. Um, and anything beyond that, if you have a if you have distribution, if you have um, the ability to you know, source at, you know, at, at good margins and things that, you know, things that would uh, a a top-notch manufacturer would be able to do. Um, those are all great. But if, if you're really tinkering in your basement and you have a true hero product on your hands, there's actually hope for you too, because these big brands are approached all the time by, you know, Me Too products that really are our commodities and the brand can sniff that out and say you're looking to label slap you just want to take our brand slap it on your product and and you know do incremental sales for yourself and that's not really serving our purpose we want to be associated with products that are special um, and there are brands there are brands out there that have different kind of thresholds um, around innovation and things of that nature. And there are brands that can see past a company that's small or maybe not even in the market yet, um, but they love the product so much that, and they believe in their own brand enough that if you put them together, there really could be a business there. Um, I think a a cool example is uh, when a client of ours won Toy of the Year in 2018 they were a small startup, you know, very experienced management, but a small startup. And if you know anything about the toy space, there's a few major players and they get the licenses to all of the biggest character properties. So it's tough to go out there as a startup toy company and get the license for all the Disney characters that's already been gobbled up and it's hard to go get the license. Um, for the hottest show on Nickelodeon that that's all been gobbled up. So you have to start, you have to really get creative. I think like a lot of your listeners that they they need to get creative. Um, and, and so I think this is a cool and inspiring story that really um, shows that if, if you, if you can make the product special uh, you can, you can, you can make it even if you're not a big company. And and our clients, um, they grew up in the '80s, and they used to uh, they they used to play with the old Teddy Ruxpin doll. I don't know, Kevin, if you're old enough to remember that, but it was the talking teddy bear, and you'd put a cassette in his belly, yep. and uh, he'd tell you stories and sing you songs. And uh, that went away. Um, it was it was a phenomenon in the in the '80s '90s, and it went away. And so we were able to. You know, unearth that intellectual property to Teddy Ruxpin, and there all of the original stories he told were were still archived and available. And our client said, "Well, let's bring Teddy back, but let's bring Teddy back 2.0 with all of the technology that he that's available today." So Teddy Ruxpin didn't take a cassette tape anymore. Teddy Ruxpin had LED eyes. <laughs> And a synced app with unlimited stories and 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 things you could download, um, and you know a, 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 a you know a, a surround <laughs> surround sound voice, and all of the cool features that were available uh, to rebuild Teddy Ruxpin today, and um, that ended up winning Toy of the Year. And the client who made that product ended up being bought out by a publicly traded toy company for hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, and it's because of their out of the box thinking and their innovation. And, you know, the, the, your top wish list of brands that you'd love to license may not be available to you. They, it may not be a realistic at this point. So you have to get creative and you have to think of ways to set yourself apart. And in this case, uh, it, it was really the product, and and then we we found you know we found this legacy IP that hadn't been touched for a couple decades, and we dusted it off, and we found a way to bring it back, um, and that sold in every single Walmart, Amazon, Target, Toys R Us while they were still around, um, and it was a huge success story, and I think that should be inspiring for for your listeners who have a great product, not even a collection of products, but just have one great product. Um, I think that plus the right licensed brand or character or sports team or whatever it may be, um, you know, that, 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 can, that can actually end up building you a business. I know on, on Shark Tank, they like to say, this is a product, not a business. But um, a lot of times it's not a business because it doesn't have the right brand on it yet.
0: Right. And that's great. You know, first and foremost, make sure that you've got an innovation, something unique, something different, something yep. special. I yep. love how you keep coming around to that and then look for the right partner. Uh, I think a lot of startups, especially they, they shoot for the moon yep. and they say, you know, I, I want the biggest celebrity that's out there right now. Uh, I think they'd be a great partner. Well, they'll probably right. that yeah. particular tier one celebrity may be a great partner, but you're not going to get access to them. So yeah. think a little bit outside the box Think creatively think of where you can, where you can start or what alternative, or like you said, legacy yeah. um, options are available to find also a great partner, but that's accessible to a startup. That yep. can make it, like you said, worth hundreds of millions of dollars, yep. um, and that's not going with the tier one or the the, the A list or whatever else. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I always find is very important as well in the startup space when they're looking at these kind of deals is you have to prove that you can execute as well. Because this brand, if they're going to trust you with this, with this license, they're going to say, okay, I'm going to trust you with our brand name or our character or our celebrity uh, name or whatever else it is. Um, we want to know that you can execute. So if you can prove that, look, I designed, developed, engineered, I got into production, I sold even you know a few hundred or a few thousand units, people are loving them. And now with your brand, we could do a hundred times the sales. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's very attractive to a brand now but if you're missing on a lot of those things and, and you're just at the idea phase or whatever else you're going to have to push a lot harder because execution is huge and it really in this sort of a of a licensing situation it is on you to make sure that that that, that product is delivered and it's delivered great because now you have a brand reputation behind it and they're you know they they're looking for that long-term relationship and they need to make sure that that brand isn't tarnished and they need well, to make sure that you're going to represent it and create something amazing that looks good obviously just for you and your product but also just for them and yeah. and, and and their brand as well right a lot, like you said a lot of this too it's not even about the return on uh, on you know return on investment for them it's not mm-hmm. as much about the dollars and cents for them it's a bigger marketing play being right. in more verticals having more eyeballs on their particular brand and being the brand behind that cool new product or that hot new innovation. So this is where I think it's very special for startups to consider, how am I unique? And then realize that that is your, your golden goose egg and yeah. leverage that that uniqueness or that specialness. Have a brand understand that, that what makes you really tick and what makes you special. And that's what creates an amazing partnership. So let's assume that we're a startup or, or even established, we're in production uh, as a hardware startup. Or as a, as a hardware company um, with one of our products. And we wanna, we, we wanna make this happen. We've got some ideas, or we wanna work with somebody to make ideas. How does somebody work with uh, an agency like yours? How does somebody you know work with you to yeah. um to discover and find these relationships and, and then you know, with that, how are these? Deals somewhat like structured. I'm curious to how they actually flow and, and what the, what that relationship looks like. i sure. um, kind of a bit of nuts nuts and bolts behind that.
2: Sure. Well, look not 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 to not to promote myself, um, but the the reality is there really aren't many agencies out there uh, at all that uh, work on our side of the business. In other words, work on behalf of the manufacturer. This is a Not not necessarily a model we created, but I think it's safe to say we are the leading agency at this point, representing manufacturers and only manufacturers. Laser focused on their side and their interests. There's there are other shops that you know represent a portfolio of brands and then on the side you know help manufacturers. But to us, that was always a conflict of interest. We we feel that to be effective, you have to pick one side of the fence, and so. Um, the vast majorities of agencies out there are focused on representing the intellectual property, whether that's the agent, whether that's the celebrities and, and the athletes, whether that's, uh, you know, the corporate brands or the cartoon properties um, that's kind of the sexy side of the business. And, and that's where, you know, most of the agencies have gravitated. Um, and that's really what gave me an entrepreneurial opportunity to, to go out on my own um, was, was to really uh, kind of serve this underserved side, but to do a deal every single time there's a manufacturer involved. So, um, you know, we represent close to 100 um, different companies today across pretty much every island channel of retail. And whether they're making luggage, jewelry, consumer electronics, bedding, clothes, you name it, we kind of wear the same hat the whole time. We say, okay, you know, how do we get you from point A to point B via licensing? And, and let's look at your business and let's look at what you bring to the table and, and make sure that you're making the right decision for your company. And to your point earlier that you can execute and that you do believe that this is going to move the needle because, you know, one little dose of reality for your listeners is that licensing is a pay-to-play business. So uh, you, you will be asked to build projections, you will be asked to sign a two or a three or four year deal, and you're gonna have to guarantee a portion of royalties back to the brand, whether you make, you know, wh- whether you make a sale of even one product. Um, so you, it is a calculated risk. Um, and so you really wanna go in eyes wide open and know all of your options ahead of time you don't wanna be making a decision based on who's, who comes knocking on your door. And so um, I would of course encourage anyone who is new or even experienced in licensing to, to uh, seek you know, outside help and in, in making sure that one, you understand you know, the full universe of options out there for you. And two, that um, you, are, you are getting a good deal um, you know, these, these license agreements, um, they're not rocket science, but there are moving pieces and there are, uh, it's not the same as going and buying a house and being able to see what it sold for last time. There's no MLS, there's no, um, going rate. Uh, every deal takes its own shape and form based on the business plan that you present. And you're going to have to negotiate um, a deal that is exciting to the brand, but also viable commercially for you. And, and that's a thoughtful process. And, um, there's a lot of tips and tricks involved and and you want to make sure that you you sign the right contract for yourself because you're probably going to be making a two or a three year bet and putting a lot of resources into the endeavor. Um, and to me, uh, it's it's totally worth it. Um, if you look at the dollars and cents you're investing in becoming that famous brand overnight via license, as opposed to taking those same dollars and cents and and going all in on your own brand, which you know may never end up turning the corner. And that's you know that's not to be glib, but it's it's really really difficult to build a brand from the ground up. And You may even have a better chance of building a brand from the ground up after you've been successful with a license. Um, Because at least at that point, you have this track record and this credibility and and retail relationships that may allow you to introduce a, a second brand in your portfolio that maybe you started yourself.
0: And I think a lot of a lot of startups really aren't, you, you know, many love the idea of building a brand and many don't like that idea at all, have no interest in getting their social media following up and all this sort of stuff around it. They say, no, look, I've got a great product. Uh, I want to partner with somebody who, who has that. And I just want to, fo- I, I want to be the product person. I yep. want to focus on making this product great. Or maybe even my, you know, after this, I want to make a new version. Or I have this whole idea for a line of products. I want to focus on that and I want to leverage somebody else who's focused on brand building, which is an entirely almost separate industry, separate thing, almost entirely than it is building a great product. So yeah. how did you mentioned you kind of uh, mentioned a bit there about the deal structure. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to understand, like, of course, when you're getting involved, with these brands, you have to give something up as is to be expected, right? And you mentioned that it's generally in the form of royalties. And uh, just explain that kind of at a high level, how generally royalties work. You know, sure. if you're to sell $100,000 worth of units, you're generally paying a piece. And if you can run through even some just ballpark projects, I know every deal is different, but just giving some real uh, general ballparks on consumer products, you know, what does a what does the hardware company give up when they uh, give it around? What is the cost there? Because um, we've gone through a lot of the benefits, but it is good to know, you know, how the actual structure is there and what you're giving up. And and then you can understand it better to make a great partnership.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I guess I was... Uh I was being um, a little hard on endorsement deals earlier in the conversation because (laughs) they tend to be very expensive and you can't really measure your return. Um, Whereas licensing, I think is much more tried and true in that, you know, you're going to know exactly how much that brand is doing for you because it's on your products and you're going to know what your sales are of those products. Um, and so in, in my mind, licensing's very fair in that sense, because the brand's going to be getting a percentage of those sales. And that's what we're alluding to is royalties. And that royalty rate can be very low. That royalty rate could be very high. It, it real, there is no standard. Um, it has to be negotiated. And in many deals, there's, there's more than one royalty rate based on what, what product we're talking about or what distribution channel. We're, we're talking about because margins are different. Maybe when you're selling department stores, then you're selling to Costco, or maybe you're selling direct to consumer, where you're you're paying a royalty on a retail price that you're selling rather than a wholesale price. So you really want to know what you're doing before uh, you, you sign one of these contracts. But there, the like you said, you know you're only interested in licensing a brand that's well known. Otherwise why you you can go with your own brand. If, if, if obscurity is what you're looking for, but if you want a famous brand, that's going to really give you a a presence and an identity um, that brand's going to want to know that not only can you execute um, but that you, you will execute. And, and the way they get you to do that is they, they want you to put some skin in the game and and they want you to basically build sales projections for call it a three-year deal what's your annual sales projection Um, sometimes you give them a high and a low or sometimes just one kind of middle of the road number per year and what royalty rates are you proposing and then multiply those and that's your projected royalties and based on your projected royalties a brand's gonna say well we're excited about those projected royalties, um, but we want to make sure that you're—you know—we're not sitting on an egg if you don't execute. So we want you to at least guarantee a portion of those projected royalties, so that we know you're motivated to actually execute on what you presented us.
0: That um, makes sense. So there's like a low bar that 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 you kind of have to hit. And then as it scales up, maybe you get some sort of a discount as you hit major volumes and everybody's happy, right? But
1: it makes sense that
0: that there is some, you know, it it somewhat scales, as you mentioned earlier, it scales with sales. Um, So there's a bit of flexibility there, but there's also a bit of like, you can't just sit there and do nothing. And I think that's that's important to understand, right? You've got to be ready to go and, and actually be doing something with this. And hopefully having that brand is the you know, the fire under you to, (laughs) that lights that spark that says, okay, well, now that they're in this, this should allow me to hit or heavily exceed at least the minimum targets. And ideally you hit much bigger targets from there.
2: Exactly. Uh, You know, in, in these contracts, what we're talking about is defined as minimum guaranteed royalties. So, you know, minimums in the word, in the definition, like these are supposed to be achievable, and no one's excited if that's all you're achieving, right? right We're of course, going to exceed these minimum guarantees, but it's worth talking about because for a smaller company, you know, those dollars are at risk, and um, and so I think you do. I think you do want to have your finances uh, in order, and you want to have you know some cash allocated to the risk you're taking, um, and there are royalty only deals out there, but they're, they're hard to find. They're usually not with the brands you're excited about. Um, And you're not going to get nearly the same amount of support from the brand. Um, You know, again, coming, coming back around to what, what's in it for the brand it's, it's really the marketing and the exposure. And so the more they can, the more excited they are about the business opportunity with your product and the more revenue it's generating for them, the more they can invest, in supporting the whole program, uh, through their marketing arm. And so, uh, I I would say that, um, these deals don't have to be expensive, but they can be very expensive. Um, again, every deal is different. Um, but, but I, I wouldn't go into licensing if, if you're not in a position to, um, bet on yourself,
0: yeah, and I, I think most hardware companies when they're getting to that point, you know, they've already put a big bet into developing the product, getting it ready, get it into production, they've got their first few sales. So to me, it's one of those things where uh, I think it would be very exciting for a, for a lot of hardware companies. Um, that are looking to to brand with with somebody, and uh, that is just an amazing opportunity. Um, so, if you know if you're one of those companies, um, how how do we get in touch with you, Rhett? Um, what's the what's the best way to learn more uh, about the world of inbound licensing and uh, get a hold of you and your agency and whatever else?
2: Yeah, no, normally I would I I would steer people towards you know the 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 contact us tab on our website and you can read more about me and you can see the variety of services we focused on licensing today. We help clients put collaborations together uh, where where there's two brands on the product. We help clients form joint ventures um, and we even help some companies uh, buy intellectual property. But I think, um, you know, I, I think, you know, the website's a valuable uh, resource to just get a better feel for what we talked about today. But because um, they're going to be friends of the show, I-, I would welcome them to reach out to me directly. Um, if you want to provide my email address, um, you know, I would be happy to, to speak to any of your listeners um, personally, and uh, see if we can help grow their business.
0: Rhett, that's much appreciated. And for everyone out there, it's, it's hegemonagency.com, H-E-G-E-M-O-N agency.com. And I'll put all the the links to your your LinkedIn and to Hegemon Agency and all that in the show notes as well. So if anyone uh, just wants to pop over there to click through, they can do that. Rhett, thanks a lot for being on, on the Product Startup Podcast today. Uh, very excited to talk about inbound marketing. We haven't talked about that on the show before, so it was a great overview. And uh, we look forward to chatting to you again. Thanks, Kevin. Take care.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast design.com for a free consultation from one of Maco Design's four design studios from coast to coast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.